It's a joy to be along another Lord's Day evening here at the Lifeboat. Uh, always enjoy your meetings very much indeed. I enjoy the fellowship of the Lifeboat here, and I certainly do enjoy your music. The music is very, very good. I must congratulate our friends over there. One thing I found out about playing music is this. The only thing I ever learned to play in my life was a lambeg drum, so I'm not a very good critic. Uh, I could be telling you something that mightn't be wrong at all, but or right at all, but very often when a soloist comes along and they don't sing well, the organist gets the blame. They're always at fault. See one or two singers smiling. You know rightly what I'm talking about. But if the singer does well, the organist never gets a word, not a single word. That's how it is. So I always like to thank them and encourage them. They're doing a great job. And if they weren't there, well, things will be a whole lot more difficult. They keep us on the straight and narrow. That's probably not always good when it comes to, or easy rather, when it comes to singing. So I'm delighted to be back tonight, and it's good to see you all. Lovely to see Brother Bertie down there at the back tonight when we were here last Lord's Day. He wasn't able to be in the meeting, and I'm glad he's here. I'm glad to see him, and I trust the Lord will continue to bless him and use him here at this corner and keep him here for a very, very long time to come. I was talking to a, a dear brother here that in a meeting that he rang me up, actually, about going down to do a couple of Sundays for them in the church in Belfast. I've been going for years. And I asked him about the brother that played the piano there. Now, he played by ear. He didn't play by music. But boy, could he play. He had the old thing bouncing in the corner. Whenever he got at it, he was exceptionally good. And I didn't know whether he was still there or not. But the brother told me, he said, uh, he was out last Sunday morning. Can only come in the morning now. And uh, he said, we had a real good time. And what do you know, he said, he did a wee bit of playing for us when he was here. He has just turned 104. That's all the age he is. 104. So, Bertie, if you make it to 104, we'll put up with you till then, and we'll let you go whenever you reach that. For you might be hard to put up with at 104. <laughs> Maybe it's hard to put up with already, Pat. Is that right? I don't know. She's smiling anyway. Keep her smiling, Bertie. That's the way to do things. Come with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter number 1, please. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm not going to read lengthily tonight. But I would encourage you to read this chapter. I always like to encourage people, particularly young people in the meeting, to read your Bible. I may have told you before, when I was just a young beginner setting out about the age of 18, there was a very famous preacher came to this part of the world by the name of Billy Graham. And uh, he was only here the one night and that was in Windsor Park in Belfast. And I went along to that meeting. I've never forgotten it. First time I ever heard the stranger of Galilee sang. George Beverly Shea sang it. And of course that appealed to me because I was brought up at the seaside. But he said a thing that night that I've never forgotten. And it was this. 
taking a little bit of time to talk to young people who were there, and I was in that category, not anymore, of course, but I was in them days, if you read three chapters of your Bible and a psalm every day, you'll read your Bible in a year. Never forgot that, that remark. I've been doing it ever since, and it's a very, very worthwhile practice, I can assure you. The oftener you read the Bible, the better. I was glad to hear our brother talking about meditating on the Word, chewing the cud over the Scriptures and learning what God has got to say to you. That's how you'll discover his will for your life. Now, this prophecy of Isaiah, it has been referred to as the fifth gospel. We have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and it takes the four of them combined to give us a picture of the death, sorry, the life, the birth rather, the life, the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, and of course the promise of his coming again. But in Isaiah here, you get wonderful, wonderful gospel texts. I'm sure you've heard preachers time and again talking from Isaiah 53. I was thinking about that coming along to the meeting tonight. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And uh, the dear brother who wrote the hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. I have no doubt was thinking about Isaiah 53. I remember some time back going into a, a gospel hall to do a Sunday evening gospel meeting. And uh, they used the Believer's Hymn Book there. And it's the only hymn book that I've ever seen. Maybe I, I'm wrong, but I've never seen another hymn book that had a marriage hymn in it. They've got a marriage hymn. But this dear brother is a little bit amusing at times in some of the things he would tell you and show you. And the hymn is there in the, for the wedding. I just can't remember the wording of it at the moment. But have you any idea, men, what hymn comes next in the hymn book? It's Man of Sorrows. Think about that one. But well, not well placed by somebody. So if you're thinking about getting married, get the hold of that hymn book and have a look. And maybe put you off the notion. I've never put anybody off the notion of getting married in my life. I needn't start now. But let's go down to verse number 18. Let's remember tonight, friends, who's talking. I'm reading, but I'm only reading what the Lord has said. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Could we read that again? Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's all I'm reading. May the Lord add his blessing to his own precious word.
The familiar verse that we have read together, friends, begins with an invitation. It's an invitation from God to you. An invitation from God to me. To every man, woman, teenager, boy and girl in the meeting tonight. It's a four-letter word. A special one and a precious one. It's the word, come. Come, for all things are now ready. I have managed to reach the age of Agranda quite a time ago. And I've got grandchildren. Whenever I meet up with them and I put my arms out and I say, come, they know what I mean. And they run in and they get the big hug they expect. It's usually a costly hug, for they're usually looking for something on the top of it. However, that's the way things are. Come, come, sinner, come. When you get an invitation to a particular event, it's always good if it's something that you're looking forward to. I knew a dear brother, still know him very well, and because of certain things and achievements in life, he got an invitation to visit Her Majesty the Queen when she was alive. Oh, the excitement. And when he went out to pick a new suit, and I don't know how long it took him, and he got one that pleased him, and he decorated himself to the best. Why? Because he was going to see the Queen. But my friend, this invitation tonight is from a higher power entirely. It's an invitation to you from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one against whom every one of us have sinned. Yes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But because of the work of Calvary, and because of the death and the resurrection of Christ, and because of the finished work that the Father gave him to do, for he cried on the cross, it is finished. He has removed forever every obstacle And God can stand before you tonight in this meeting and he can say to you, come, for all things are now ready. My invitations are a wonderful thing. I was thinking about a man today, a pastor that I know very well. He's away down in the county for Manor area. At least that's where he was. I think he's moved from there since. And I met him one day. He listened to ski and he wasn't looking too happy. And I said to him, brother, what is wrong with you? You're looking pretty miserable. Ah, he said, I've had three wedding invitations this month. Three weddings to do. But I said, what what on earth is wrong with that? Three weddings. Wrong with it, he said. It's costing me a fortune. The wife never has anything to wear. You see, I'm sure you boys know what I mean. Never have anything to wear when it comes to a wedding. He had to rig her out three times in one month. 
It must have cost him a fortune. Invitations are a mighty thing. My friend, the invitation I bring to you tonight is 2,000 years old. Doesn't come from me or from the fellowship here or anyone in it. It comes from heaven itself. It comes from the everlasting throne in glory. It comes from Almighty God to you as a poor, lost, wandering sinner. And God is saying, come, sinner, come. What an invitation is that? I don't think there's anyone in the meeting tonight that's saved or that is a Christian who has not responded at some time or other to that word, come. When God said, come, you came. Maybe you haven't responded. Well, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. Thou wouldst be saved. Oh, then be wise. Thou wouldst be saved. Why not tonight? God is saying, come. I remember a gospel mission I was conducting years ago. There was a dear old man attending the meetings by the name of Bob. And it was very obvious that God was dealing with the man. But you know, whenever you live your life, or the majority of it, in the grip of the devil, he just doesn't leave go, you go easily, let you go easily. This dear old man was fighting a hard battle to come to an understanding of salvation. I talked to him regularly, went to see him. Didn't seem to be able to get anywhere. The man was as dark as a dungeon. Religious, yes, tons of religion, but not an ounce of salvation. No hope when it came to eternity. But he told me how he eventually got saved. The night I met him, when he had got saved the night before, I knew it had happened. You could see the difference in his expression. It was there in his face. He said, I went home last night after the meeting, bitterly and sorely distressed and troubled about my soul, scared nearly to go to bed unless I would waken up in a lost sinner's hell. This whole matter of conviction was taking sleep from his eyes, dreading the thought of an eternity without Christ. He said there was a mirror in the room. He said, I looked up at the mirror, stood up and looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, Bob, if you're never saved, nobody will say you haven't tried. He had tried everything he could think of. But here's how he put it to me. The Bible says that every mouth shall be stopped. And he says in an instant, my mouth was stopped. The voice spoke to me. He said I could hear it in my inner soul. The voice said, did you ever try coming to me? He says, I dropped on my knees and I said, Lord, I come now. And he said, the transaction took place in an instant. You see, that was God's time. 
That was the time that God had planned to meet that dear man. This could be the very night, my friend, that God wants to meet with you. Don't despise it. It's an invitation, yes. But the next word brings us to what I want to call tonight a limitation. Are there limits on this? Yes. God says, come now. Now that's a mighty, mighty word. Come now. There is danger and death in delay. Why is it so important, you say, that I come now? I don't want to sound morbid tonight, friend, but you could die tonight. You could leave this world behind tonight. And if you did, as you're sitting in this meeting now, tell me, tell me where they're bound. Is it to the many mansions where eternal rest is found? Or with the poor rich man of Luke 16, would you lift up your eyes in hell being in torments. I lifted a track at a church. I was preaching in this morning. It took my eye. There was a little board where there were tracks and you could lift one. And the title of this track was, Where Will You Be in 150 Years? I was struck by that. I brought it home and I haven't read it yet, but that's a good question. Because you'll be somewhere. There's one thing certain. If the Lord tarries, you'll not be here in this hall. You'll be out in God's eternity. It's so important that you come now. You might die tonight. You'll pardon another personal reference. I remember many years ago, friends, conducting a mission up in Ballyclare. And I had a boy with me who had a miraculous testimony from the town of Portadown. And after the meeting, something happened we didn't expect. We were invited out for supper. Of course, we were happy to go. But we needed to ring home. I knew where there was a telephone box. There were no mobile phones in those days. And I drove up around the corner to this telephone box. But before I tell you about the telephone, I must tell you something else. There was a young guy in the meeting. And I was down at the door shaking hands with the people going out. And when I put my hand out to him, he pushed it away like that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense in all my life. He said, I'm a way out to enjoy the world. I went to this phone and I rang home, told my late wife I was going to be late. Then my friend went in and he was ringing. And there was a car went past the phone box. And he wasn't driving fast, let me tell you. He was flying low. The thing was flat out. I saw a flash and I heard a bang up over a hill. I didn't know what had happened. But I said to the guy that was with me, I said, we best go up there. There's something has happened. I said, I said, he said, I heard it. We'll go up right away. And we went over. And here there was a bend and a stone wall. And he was, the car was halfway through the stone wall. He never hardly got her turned at all. And they had already pulled the driver out. Others who had come along. And he was lying on the side of the road with a blanket over him. The driver was dead. They were trying to get the other fella out. 
And I went over, I remember this well, and I pulled back the blanket. Friends, I trembled. It was the young man who half an hour or less earlier pushed away my hand and told me I'm going out to enjoy the world. I don't know what happened in that half hour. I have no idea, and I'm not the judge of all the earth. But if he did not repent and turn to the Savior, instead of going out to enjoy the world, he was about 20 minutes from hell. I have never forgotten that. You could die tonight. You need to come now. Another terrible thing could happen, friends. The Lord, the Spirit, could talk to you no more. You remember the three ladies that were making their way from Moab to Bethlehem, Judah? There was the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws. And they stopped to talk. And Opa, under the persuasion of her mother-in-law, went back down to idolatrous Moab again and vanished out of the picture. But Ruth was different. The Moabites, you've heard of Ruth, the little book of Ruth. It's a delightful story to read. Naomi and her discussed the whole issue. But here's what it said about Naomi and Ruth on that occasion. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded, that is, She was determined to go to Bethlehem, Judah, along with her mother-in-law, and she wasn't going to be turned. But here's the next few words. She left off talking to her. She didn't discuss the thing anymore. God might see you tonight in this meeting, spoken to over and over and over again. Challenged about your sin, your soul, and your need. God might say tonight, that individual is steadfastly minded to go to a lost eternity, determined, no matter what I do, I will leave them and go to someone else. It can happen. Oswald J. Smith was the pastor of the largest missionary supporting church in the world in Toronto, in Canada. And he was over in London years and years ago, and he was preaching at a missionary conference. But he said interesting things, and one of the things he said was this, What right has a man to hear the gospel twice when there are people in the world who have never heard it once. I don't think I'm talking to anyone tonight who hasn't heard it more than once. My friend, don't waste your opportunities. My spirit shall not always strive with man. The Lord might never 
call you again. But there's another thing very precious to the heart of the believer, and it's this. The Lord might come again. And if he does, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The living will be changed. Do you know how long it's going to take him to do that? He's going to do it quickly. Listen to the language of this. He's going to do it in a moment. Now, how do you determine quickly or a moment? I don't know how you describe that. And he's going to do it in the twinkling of an eye. Dear old brother I know very well was going out past me at the door one night at a meeting. And he said, do you see that twinkling of an eye? I said, yes. He said, that's half a wink. Now, if you can figure out what half a wink is, well, that's all the time he needs to raise the dead and change the living. And we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know the thing I'm discovering, friends? It's shocking me a little bit. There's more people talking to me about the Lord's return today than there are Christians. Unbelievers I'm talking about. Who realize that this whole world we're living in is coming to some kind of a finale. It's going to be soon wound up in its present form. And a dear man who's an alcoholic in Portadown said to me one day, he said, Harvey, tell me, when is Jesus coming again? And I quoted him that verse. I said, friend, listen. Of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I can't really tell you. But I said, tell me, why did you ask me that? He said, listen, I have a serious alcohol problem. He says, I know it. But he said, I also know this, that that's the only answer to the world's problems, the second coming of Christ. He was right. He was right. Unsee a person tonight in this meeting. If the Lord Jesus comes tonight and you're still the way you are, you're sunk. And you're finished. You'll walk about on this area, in this world, until you go to eternity. Day after day, night after night, as sure of hell as if you were already in it. For when he takes the church home, up to be forever with himself, the church will go in. To the Father he will say, Behold, I am the children whom thou hast given me. That is ascension when he went right up into the presence of the Father yonder. The door was swung open. But whenever he returns and brings his waiting people home, that door will be slammed shut. And my friend, that's it. It will never be opened to a poor lost sinner Again, you go to the story of Noah's Ark. You'll discover that Noah preached. And Noah built. Noah done everything that needed to be done. There was only one thing he didn't do. And that was shut the door. God did that. God 
shut him in. I asked an old brother one time, why did Noah do that? Well, he said, you know, Noah was a human being. And maybe when he would have heard the shrieks and screams of some of his neighbors, he might have been tempted to open the door had he closed it. But he couldn't yield to that because the door was closed and sealed with a divine hand. The end of the age is almost upon us, friend, I believe. If the Lord Jesus came tonight, it wouldn't surprise me. I know nothing in that book to hinder him coming now. Not a thing in that Bible. To hinder the Savior coming now. The only thing that's holding him back, I believe, is this. Is his long-suffering, loving heart. Giving to you another opportunity to be saved. But this could finish it. Come. Now. An invitation and a limitation. There's a confrontation here. What are we coming for, you say? Let us reason together. You know, friends, I'm sure every Christian would agree with this when I say tonight, there's nothing unreasonable with God. Not a thing. But poor sinners at times can be very unreasonable. Not with friends or neighbors or family or something like that all the time. Maybe that is the case from time to time. But with God. God is saying to you, you have sinned against me. You have broken my law. Your sin reached into heaven, dragged my son from that everlasting throne, brought him down into this world, took him to Calvary, kneeled him to a cross. Your sin did that. Now he said, let's reason this thing out. Because there's no need for you to face a lost eternity. Don't be unreasonable with God. Come now and let us reason together. Sit down with God tonight and work your eternity out. That's what he means. Because, friend, that's where you're going. Some time ago, to mention something in another vein that I have mentioned a little tonight in the meeting, I was invited along to speak. Why they invited me, I do not know, at a ladies' meeting. And it was a kind of a convention thing or something, if I remember right. Didn't know whether to wear trousers or a skirt. But, uh, however... I kept the trousers on anyway. But they had a ladies' choir there singing. And I've never forgotten the final piece they sung, in particular the chorus. Where will you be a million years from now? Will you be happy? Will you be sad? Men in the meeting tonight, where will you be a million years from now? Ladies, in the meeting tonight, God bless you. 
so glad you're here. Where will you be a million years from now? I'm so delighted looking down to see so many young people in the congregation tonight. But let me ask you, where will you be a million years from now? God says, let's reason together. Let's sort this out. Let's make it right for eternity. Come now. Don't to do it. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. My friend, I repeat it again. There is nothing unreasonable with, about God. Not a single thing. The problem is men. They hug their sin to their heart like a cherished object. They roll it under their tongue like a tasty morsel, and they will not let it go. But let me say this to you. Yes, there's a heaven available. But my own saved friend, let me stress this tonight. You're not going into heaven bringing the mess of your sin with you. I think that needs to be said. I don't know where the word repent has gone. But I don't hear it today as often as I used to hear it. But whenever John the Baptist went out to preach, the very first word he mentioned was repent. Now, I'm sure you hear it from this pulpit. The need to turn away from sin. Short time afterwards, the Lord Jesus came behind him. The very first word he uttered was the word repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If that was the case way back then, and nothing of the gospel has changed, repentance is still a must, an about turn from sin. There is a city bright. Closed are its gates to sin. Not that defileth. Not that defileth shall ever enter in. I'm not going to get near the tail end of this verse tonight. But I was thinking about a couple of things that are here. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You've got a purification and a separation there. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's the way you need to be to get into God's heaven. I received a... Oh, goodness, see me in mobile phones. I would need to have somebody behind my tail working it out for me. But I received an email, is that it? Maybe not, from a cousin of mine in Canada. A WhatsApp, that's it, you know. And it was showing me snow. And it was over the top of the car, you know. And I just sent her back a two-letter message, keep it. <laughs> I want to see that coming here. <laughs> but uh, she was showing this to me. But I looked at the whiteness of the snow, you know. I remember being invited to speak to a 
group of young people one night in Belfast and to do their Sunday school prize distribution. And young people, you know, boy, they can hit you. And I was asking questions. And I'll give you two of them. The first one was this. And as soon as I give you the answer, you'll know where I was. I said, who was it that left the father's house, took the father's money, went into a far country, lived it up, and came back and got a great welcome up this hand went. I said, who was it, son? He says, it was the Protestant son. <laughs> now, there, there, there's a new one for you. <laughs> I'd never heard of that before. But you have a good idea the nick of the woods I was in that particular night, you know. But I happened to quote this verse, and I said to those that were there, do you know anything that's whiter than snow? Up went another hand. I said, what is it, son? See, your hair. <laughs> I, never, I never asked that one again either. <laughs> the wee ones can fairly take you on, can't they? My friend, that's what you need tonight. You need a real cleansing. You need a real washing. And you can have it tonight. And the answer is the precious blood of Christ. <coughs> Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm finished for my time's gone. I wonder, friend, are you going to do what God asks? Are you going to come now?